Blog Talk Radio. holidays to everyone as we wrap up the Christmas and Hanukkah seasons and certainly a uh, an early happy new year to everyone in Metsville. Let's hope 2020 is a great year for everyone and a great year for our team that uh, that resides in Queens. My name is Rich Barago known as at MetFanRich on Twitter and you are listening to the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Uh, so we have a nice show for you tonight and let me, let me start with this. If people are listening live the guest call-in number is 646-787-1919. Feel free to give us a shout tonight. We're going to have a sort of a familiar kind of a format and then sort of a different kind of a format. Um, but before we get into format and what we're going to talk about and all of that, um, I have one of my co-conspirators on the Metsian podcast with me tonight. We hope to have the other soon. But hailing from uh, – well, I'm not sure where you are right now, Sam. I know you get around, but – uh, but we'll say that your roots are in Brooklyn, and you can tell us where you are. Mr. Sam Maxwell joins us tonight, the Sam in uh, Rich Mike and Sam. So, so, Sam, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I, I'm fantastic. Right now I'm currently outside of Wawa in Maplewood, New Jersey, uh, such as the lift life, hashtag. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk uh, a little Mets baseball, both the uh, immediate end of the decade as well as the, the full decade itself same and and when i mentioned earlier sam and thanks for for queuing that up when i mentioned earlier that this show will have some elements of familiar some elements of something a bit different what i was referring to is the mets have made some news since the last time the metsian podcast was on the air which was last sunday mets have made some news uh for 2020 i'd like to get into that and whenever they make news for 2020 roster stuff you always think about well what could be next does there need to be anything next we'll talk about all of that but then we'll segue over to some of our memories of the decade, because believe it or not, folks, decade's over. We have about a day and a half left, and um, actually, I take that back, we have about two days and four hours left. So the decade is over, and uh, we'll take a look at some notable moments, both uh, good and bad, from the 2010s for the New York Mets. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Feel free to give us a shout. We'd really like to hear from you. So, Sam, let, let's start with the on-the-field news. I think that's always what we have to do here when, uh, when there is on-field news. So the, on Christmas Eve, the Mets signed Dellen Batances. Um, so let's put that in context. Mets uh, probably would have made the playoffs with not even a great bullpen but a somewhat better bullpen last year, and the bullpen sunk up the joint. So they went out, and so far what they've done, you know, for those keeping score – what they've done is they've signed Michael Waka and Rick Porcello. Those have been the big moves. And then they bring in Dellen Batances. So three pitchers. Um, we're not sure where these guys will land, rotation or bullpen. We know Batances will be in the bullpen. So, Sam, I'm going to start with that. Give me your thoughts, both when you first heard about the signing of Dellen Batances and now that it's you know ruminated in you for five days, what are you thinking about it now? You know, it, it's um, it's 
you know, damned if they do, damned if they don't type of thing. Because I know that everybody wanted Batansis after basically, you know, uh, the the narrative was kind of after the whole Johannes Cespedes money freed up, which we, we can even get into because uh, I'm not sure how much we've talked about that on air. But the um, the thing about Batansis still is that they got him on the cheap because he's coming off of injury. It's more of the exact same thing. Instead of going after the Will Smiths uh, and, and some of the higher-end relievers, we're going after Batances, who we know can be a high reliever, but he's coming off of injury, and he struggled at times uh, uh, right before that. So, you know, I, I think that um, – I know that he can be lights out when, when he's great, but it's just – it's hard for me not to be cynical these days with the segue over to Cohen – it's such a strange segue uh, to be happening in the first place if there's any segue at all. Uh, we have no timetable on when MLB is going to be voting on this. And I know I'm going on a tangent, but you can't think about these moves and the way that Brody operates without thinking about the way Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon operates. And more than ever, I see yet again we are, you know, just about to punch through that brick wall. And yet, here we are stunting our development, stunting our our progress. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I want to keep having hope. I want to keep having. You know, you got to believe. Uh, but I just don't think you can sell it long term on every player you bring in. You know, you you can't do that. You got to believe with every player you bring in. So. It's a strange time in Mets world, especially coming off of what was just an absolute party. But the party really, as they say, you know, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. And until that billions sings, um, it's more Mets baseball purgatory. That's unfortunately my reaction. I, I think that yet again, I, I don't want to see them make any Robinson, Robinson, Cano, Edwin Diaz type trades where they're giving up prospects right now or people like Brandon Nimmo. I think that's dumb because they should be adding players that they're trying to get. They should be eventually adding via free agency and not detracting with some of these cost-controlled players that you don't even quite know what you have uh, yet. You should be adding Mookie, Mookie Betts to a Brandon Nimmo, not using him in a, in a trade. Same thing with Starlin Marte. I no, I'm going off on so many tangents, but that is what I think about when I see the Batances move. It just there's there's no sugarcoating it for me. There's no, um, of course I want him to pitch well, but I just I just see more of the same with it. Well, you know, I will say that your take on that is interesting, and I want to keep going with it because I find it to be. From what I've seen, from my own personal reaction to it, and what I've seen, if I had to, you know, generalize, most of Mets Twitter was was thrilled about the Batanzas signing and um, thrilled that the Mets got a guy with an incredible top end. And you know, this guy, I mean, he he could be your closer, he could be your setup man, uh, four-time All Star, I believe. But you're taking the perspective of yeah, but you're taking the yeah, but perspective, which is fair. A um, couple things. You know, he, he's available because he pitched in one game last year. He's had, he had multiple injuries. You have that. 
and and um, and probably when you look at the contract, you know, it, it's a fairly reasonable one, and also one with a player option for 2021, which you don't see too too often. So um, so he was a you know he kind of needed the contract, shall we say, because he pitched in one a grand total of one game last year. So your take on it is sort of the opposite take um, that I think is probably out there, but not the not the majority. But but that's okay. That that's what we're here to talk about. So you would have preferred to see them go after guys like Smith and Harris and uh, even Joe Smith. You know, the guys who may be. Uh, for lack of a better term, I don't want to say sure things. There's no such thing as a sure thing with a bullpen. But uh, but you would like to have seen them gone after more mainstream players, right? Guys not coming off of injury whose price had been driven down. Yeah, this is just where I want them to eventually go. I mean, it's it's just I I, I hate the spin. And I've been getting into it with one particular Mets man who, like, I kept spinning it. You know, I couldn't spin it positively because the Wilpons are just such a, a a scar on this franchise. And yet, here we are. We've all of a sudden, it seems like there's finally light at the end of the tunnel, but it might be darkest before the dawn. And, you know, you see all these teams go out there and immediately respond to the way they're season ended coming off of a division rival winning the world series and that division rival retaining their uh, um, big time high-end starting pitcher because they can and they just won a world series and they're being quite quiet too but that's what you can do when you're coming off of winning a world series and you've also probably added more by subtracting more with getting rid of Bryce Harper, and that seemed to work for them. And, you know, and then you just see the Mets sit back on 86 wins and not making the playoffs, and the biggest news we have is that the Wilpons could possibly not be not funding the Mets soon, if that you understand uh, the way I phrase that, you know. Um, And so I'm just – I'm. I'm sick of, like, and especially all the articles you read that, like, it all comes back to Jeff Wilpon, whether it's the fans, the players, or the owners themselves. The biggest issue in the room is Jeff Wilpon and nobody wanting him to have his hands on this this ball club. And now more than ever, like, how are we supposed to gauge who Brody Van, Van Wagenen is? Because yet again, they're just moving money around. And so I, I, we, we've seen it, and we're going to talk about it. This decade is littered with players that we thought were going to be great. And they were coming off of injury. And they weren't. So one of, how am I supposed to get excited about this right now? You know, they finally and, – and they did what the fans were telling them they should do coming off of the Ioana Cespedes money. Um, like, how excited am I supposed to be? Because, you know, he needs to show me just like familiar – like, it's more – there are three or four unbelievably high-end relievers. And, and, and you know, I, I, I do want to bring up Brad Brack. I actually thought that was a good stealth little move because he performed well. 
in his very short Agreed. time uh, as a Met. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to point out that I liked that move before this whole Batances thing. But yet again, we're still talking about a lot of what ifs and include Bracken now. There, there could be, you could potentially have seven high end relievers, and that is very exciting. But yet again, we're talking potentials, and there's obviously never really a sure thing in with any team. Look at what's going on with Stanton right now, you know, up in the Bronx. But at the same time, as much as people want to talk about how the Mets were the only New York team to make the World Series this year. The Yankees put themselves in position much more consistently to to potentially make a World Series, whether or not they actually did. So just because, yet again, we're selling a miracle run, which we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about our favorite years. And obviously 2015, I'm pretty sure for both of us, is probably going to be our favorite year of the decade. But, you know. We're talking about 2015, 2016, and then we're going to be tossing it around a little bit with what could possibly be our next favorite year. So obviously 2019 could most likely take the cake between us, but you know it's yet another uneven year that we're talking about. And with 2015, we're talking about magical runs in both 15 and 16 to make those playoffs and, and get to that one World Series that a New York team got to. But the Yankees never needed a miracle run to give themselves a chance to to potentially make a World Series. They were in they were in a couple uh, they they were in a, a few championship series, and as we now know, there's now controversy as to why they didn't make the World Series. So there, it's it's I want obviously we're going to talk a lot of light about this decade, but yet again. Going into 2020 and going into the next decade, there's not as there, there's there's no more clarity, and especially with how how you know we're kind of in a holding pattern with what Major League Baseball is going to do with this guy Steve Cohen anyway. Well, all good stuff, Sam. And, and you know we we did a little show prep here, and I'm going to throw you a curveball. One thing that we didn't um, we didn't talk about, but I, I given everything you've said, I have to ask you this question because I find it intriguing. Um, a, a very popular person on Met Twitter, on Mets Twitter, put out there yesterday or day before, and he's been on the show. Um, he said that the Mets have taken a step backward this off season, not forward. Um, and I'll summarize by you know he's basically saying that you've lost Wheeler, and you've replaced Wheeler with Waka, Porcello, and Batances. In his mind, the Mets are not as good right now as the team that ended 2019. Your thoughts on that? So may I also ask who this person is? Oh, yeah, Mets Daddy. Who it is? Uh, he's been on our show. Yeah, yeah Mets Daddy. Daddy. He's been on our you know, show. He takes, yeah. a lot, he takes a lot of heat with certain things. And I understand, like, the whole, what was it, the Pete Alonzo stuff and the Dom Smith stuff. But sometimes, you know, I think that I don't always agree with his angle. Um but I think he's right to bring up a lot of this stuff. And sometimes I think he's more right than Mets Twitter wants to realize. Um, well, you, you, you have to like, look at it like like, like think about it like 2009, 2017, you know, we're, we're, we're 
leaning on a lot of things repeating themselves, you know, and like even going into 2019 with the end of 2018, we were depending on a lot of things. We were leaning on a lot of things. Obviously the bullpen is really what suffered us the most at the, the majority of the year. But um, I, I, I think when you see the way, again, other teams respond to the, the lackluster way their, their seasons ended, and then you see what the Mets have done, which is very little. Uh, Porcello could be a Cy Young Award winner. Waka could be the guy he was in his rookie season. Um, and I, like I, I just stated the exact same thing about all these relievers. So um, we're once again betting that, you know, we have a really great core. And we do have a really great core. But I don't see how you can sit back and not – Go after people like Kohler Strasburg. Be able to go after Rendon, even. These guys will take you from an 86-win team to somebody who should have won the division. And, yes, you're, and yet again, you're also betting, well, the relievers can't be as bad as they were last year. I mean, like, something else is going to make it so you don't win either 86. Uh, you don't even collect 86. Yet again, we're staring down the barrel of a gun of lost potential with this team. And, and yet again, by June, we're going to be talking about whether or not this, this team should sell or, or, or buy. You know, obviously things might not fall properly, just like what happened with Philadelphia last year with McCutcheon and, and um, Segura uh, and all, all these players. I get that. But – They've still responded. Let, let's, let's go specific with the Philadelphia Phillies. They got Zach Wheeler, and whether or not you thought he was worth the money, they Daniel Murphy'd us, which is something that we never do. Just think, think about – forget about whether or not Bryce Harper was the right guy. I think Strasburg seems like a much more you know, stand-up gentleman to give that money to, and you're sticking it to a, a, a major rival in your division. Like, I want the Mets to start thinking like this. I want the Mets to have the resources to start thinking like this. I know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my, my train of thought in some fashion, but that's just, it all just comes back to, right, the Mets daddy stuff. It all comes back to how you're, how the other teams respond and how you respond. And right now you can only say that this team should be more consistent than they've been, but hey, you can't bet on that. And you're also just betting that Carlos Beltran's going to be a wizard. You can't bet on that either. As of right now, Carlos Beltran would be the only reason. And we still don't know how he's going to manage why the Mets have gotten any better at all. I don't see how they've improved. Hopefully things go right, but yet again, we're talking that way. And, you know, I, I know that even with Steve Cohen's money, we might not be reassured. We, it's still, things might not go as, you know, according to plan. But just with the right personnel, things might go <laughs> the way they should, and we might be more secure going into this and not be yelling about, uh, you know, just so many people frustrated uh, about the state of this franchise. I, I, 
can't necessarily argue with Mets Daddy. It's an interesting take he had, and um, because maybe I got swept up in it. You know, I, I thought, well, I'm not in love with the Waka signing or the Porcello signing, quite frankly. But I said to myself, all right, you, now you've got numbers in the rotation. Hopefully, I don't think anybody's as good as Wheeler, but with numbers you could find maybe Waka has a good year, maybe Porcello has a good year. One of them could be three-quarters of Wheeler. You've got the other one in the bullpen, and you've added Batances. To, a, to an offense that, if you have Cespedes back, is damn good. So I've been kind of swept up in the, you know, I can't wait to get for the season to start. And, by the way, um, Greg Prince pointed out that yesterday was the baseball equinox, which means that we are closer to the beginning of the 2020 season than the last pitch thrown in 2019. So that's an interesting little tidbit. But, no, Sam, I, I really appreciate your, your take on this, and I wasn't expecting it. Um, it's a very sobering take and a very logical one. So with that said, let's move to a little bit more about 2020. Um, the bullpen. Okay. So added Batances, clearly the weak spot. Do you think that they should keep adding? Um, do you think that they're done? What's your take on, on what needs to be done to address the bullpen situation? Or I think it's set to go. Well, I think right now, I mean, it's becoming like how many bodies are you going to have? Uh, and, you know, you got some spring training invites. Um, obviously, there's names that we're not even talking about yet in terms of minor leaguers. Um, I, I, I think that some of the guys that we've seen go to the wayside because of designation for assignments, uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of mincing, you know, mincing at that point, um, I I think that yeah. One, I don't even know what the names are. Uh, do you have any names that you can throw out to me that maybe that the you know would entice me to say, hey, you know, maybe the Mets need to look at that. Well, the the big names are off the board. You know, um, Will Smith signed with with the Braves. Will Harris is still out there. Um, so so you know that he's a decent reliever, but. The a lot of them have been scooped up already, and to your point earlier about the Braves, their bullpen was fairly weak last year. Um, now th- I know they made a lot of moves at the deadline, and and they did obviously they won the division and, and they shored it up, but they're continuing to address their bullpen. And the Braves, you know, did did scoop up a few guys. Um, so not sure if you know if the Mets need to go the trade route, you know, sign anybody who's to this point unsigned. But I think when you overlay realism on top of it, vis-a-vis the bullpen, I think they're done. I don't think they're adding any more. And um, I think what they're relying on is, one, like I said earlier, one of Waka or Porcello being in the bullpen and Batansis. And then, like you said earlier, and I think like we're all thinking, statistically and logically, Familia can't be that bad. Diaz can't be that bad. We hope. You've got Lugo. You've got Gesellman, who actually did not have a good year, but you've got both of those guys. You've got Wilson as a lefty. Um, you've got Daniel Zamora. Um, you know, so they've got, like you said, they've got numbers. And, and and it's a big if. You know, If these guys are okay and these guys pitch to 80% of what they should, the bullpen will be a hell of a lot better. So I think that's what they're hanging their hat on. But, again, I go back to your take, which is an interesting one, that instead of, you know, 
doing the Nikita Khrushchev, taking the shoe off and pounding it against the table and saying, we will not have a bad bullpen. We're going to add, you know, we're going to add guys who are at the top of their game, you know, not guys coming off injury. We're going to add the living to the living shit out of this bullpen. They didn't do that. They kind of said, well, you know, we don't really have to do too much here. We've got guys who should rebound. Look, Familia's lost 20 pounds. Does he look great in that picture? Okay. Um, no. And Diaz, uh, another workout picture. Guys. Great. Yeah, that was that one made its way around. A familiar looking rather svelte. Um all right, so I think we we've covered the bullpen so, so, uh, for the but first before, before we move past this sorry, before we move past this topic, I'm wondering, do you think they're basically betting on you know, whoever from from um the three, Stephen Matz, Michael Walker, Rick Porcello, whoever can give you the most bang for for the innings? That's the odd man out. That's the one who's going to be in the bullpen. Because remember, they experimented with Matt, and they're, they're, they 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 might still be thinking something along those lines, considering his injury history. Well, I wanted to get to that, so glad glad you teed that up. With regard to those guys, you know, the Mets are talking like they have this abundance of starting pitching. You know, Brody, I don't remember the exact words, but he made that point. We've got a lot of really good starting pitching, and we feel like I think he said our, our rotation is the deepest. I don't think he said the best thing. He said the deepest in baseball. It could be the deepest in baseball. When I hear that, and also I'm hearing that they might want to leverage a starter to bring in help elsewhere, the names I'm hearing are Stroman and Matz. Um, so that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, do you think that – well, let's start, let's start with a very simple question – do you think that they should say to themselves, huh, you know, most teams have a five-man rotation. We have more than that. We have more starters than that. We could, we could peddle one of these guys and see what we could get. Maybe we can address the bullpen or we can address something else. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's foolhardy to, to start peddling starters at this point? I think when you look off the years and Michael Walker and Rick Porcello are coming off of, I don't see how you can go from Zach Wheeler down to those two and then think about moving any of these other starters, especially if you're pushing this idea that Stroman was brought in to replace Wheeler. I, I think that um, it, it's just buffoonery. And, and when you look at Waka's numbers, he screams that you hired him to be the swingman. And, and basically the guy that you wish Seth Lugo could be, except he's so fucking lethal in the eighth, excuse me. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, he's either lethal in the eighth or lethal in the ninth, and and you've needed this guy who can give you all these different types, and maybe that's what Michael Walker is now. You know, I mean, he's coming off a four seventy six ERA, and I know that Cindergard gave you something just a little bit. I mean, I think he eventually got his number under four. Am I correct here? I, I can let's see who's he quicker did. to draw with that, but. He did, high threes, and yeah, considering he how yeah. high up it was, uh, Cindergard pitched like, basically, I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but you can basically surmise that he pitched like the guy that we want him to the majority of the time in the second half. Big reason why we came back at the end. So you can't, I, I, and I don't see how you can move Cindergard now. I know that he's kind of become this polarizing figure because he hasn't, had like like a a crazy breakout year um that that we want him to but at the same time I think you're 
I, I think you have somebody who really seems to mesh well with being a Met and being in the city as a Met. He, he's really, I, I, I think from the social media perspective, the personality um, and what you could have, I think this is the type of potential that you don't need to be trading and that you don't need to be hold that you don't need to be, that you need to be holding on to. And you need to be potentially locking up because of this perfect marriage. And you don't need to be basically constantly having these relationships that fall to the wayside. Um, regardless of what you think about Jose Reyes, uh, I think it was yet again the Wilpon side of things that kind of let that, you know, kind of go south, if you will, just based off of – I mean, and mind you, maybe Sandy Alderson just legitimately didn't want to sign him. Um, but – I, I, I know I'm going all over the place with it, but I think Noah Syndergaard is an appropriate person to talk about because uh, as much as most likely he's not the one to get traded, and I know that Brody's come out and said we're not going to be trading Noah Syndergaard. And you know what? If he's making that statement in public, it's because he underst- I, you know, he definitely understands the, the uh, from also you know the, the being a former player agent, he understands – I believe how important Noah Syndergaard is to this team right now. Um, and I, I, I think that going forward, it would be a great idea to lock him up. So you have this one, two punch that when it's all said and done could possibly have pitched together for 15 years. Um, and, and that would be pretty brilliant. So that would be a pretty brilliant thing to say. It would be very Kuzman Severesque, even though unfortunately they weren't able to pitch 15 years together. But, yeah, those, those, those are some of my thoughts with that. I think you are a fool if you think that you have starting pitching depth when Walter Lockett falls anywhere in seventh or eighth place. <laughs> I, right? Sam, I am so with you. I am so with you. If you said to me right now, look, everything's over in terms of players' moves except one thing. You could either trade one of the starters, I don't care, insert name, I don't care if it's Matz or Stroman, and get whatever, or go with the team you have. I'll say go with the roster I have right now because I do not want to trade a starting pitcher. Because when you think about it, the Mets were ridiculously lucky last year. 154 of their games were started by their intended starting pitchers, which almost never happens to any team, by the way. They had very few starts that were, you know, Walter Lockett had a couple of them, and, and, um, and Chris Flex, and I can't even say it uh, with a straight face, uh, took a couple. But 154 <laughs> of their starts, he was so bad, 154 of their starts were by their intended starters. And um, that's probably not going to happen again. And you've got Porcello, like you said, coming off a bad year. You've got Waka coming off of injuries. Um, you don't mess with it. You know, somebody's going to have to swallow their pride and go in the bullpen if, if everybody's healthy. I do not want to trade a starting pitcher. If they want to address other needs, find depth elsewhere, and I'm queuing myself up now for the next thing I wanted to get to, which is um, when I hear about, you know, adding, sure, well, I'd love to add a starting center fielder. I would. If it's going to cost me a starting pitcher, I would not. But um, we hear a lot about Marte. The Mets are – you know, rumored, I don't think by people with credibility, but they're rumored by, you know, to be possibly, you know, 
dabbling in the Chris Bryant sweepstakes, which I don't understand why the Mets would want out of third baseman or a shortstop, by the way. I don't understand why they would be in on Lindor or Chris Bryant, because shortstop and third base are not their problems. You know, you have Jeff McNeil penciled in for third base. You have Ahmed Rosario, who could be Lindor in a couple of years. What in the hell would you give up anything to get, to shore up those positions for? That I don't understand. Now, center field. Okay. I would love to have a better center fielder, an everyday center fielder like Marte. Again, like I said, not at the cost of a starting pitcher. But my question for you is, when I hear Bryant, when I hear Marte, when I hear any name of a player coming back, it seems that Brandon Nimmo's name is always going the other way. Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis going the other way. I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean – Nimmo seems to be everybody's favorite trade chip, and I get it. You know, maybe he has value to other teams, but do you? Would you like to use him as a trade chip, or do you think he's he should be right where he is? No, I think that we need to be holding on to these guys with the potential that Steve Cohen's money opens up next year, because mm-hmm. you you just don't you don't need to be taking away. Like, like, okay. So, what you were saying that, like, you know, third base and shortstop really aren't their their uh, biggest needs right now. I think that I go back to being able to add a Rendon because Jeff McNeil is so versatile, and JD Davis uh, has been relatively versatile, albeit not completely uh, uh, sound defensively. Although I think he's better in the outfield. But anyway, going back to it, these are players that you want to hold on to. And if you can get a Rendon in free agency, you do so. But you don't try to move like 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 Brandon Nimmo and Rosario for Lindor. I I just don't I I don't think that's sound, especially when you had. I mean Rosario could be just as good as Lindor, and I know again I'm 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 kind of being a hypocrite by saying that I'm leaning on hope with somebody like Rosario and when, you know, you, you are there, but it's just, it goes back to the shuffling of money around. The only reason we'd be making trades like this is because we can't afford to be adding. And so I'm just like, just hold, just like, don't, if this, if this is the game you're playing where you're half-assing it, don't full-ass the creativity. It just doesn't make any sense. Because, yet again, you're just going to keep leveraging the future for no reason when you could be adding all of this together in a couple years. And, again, I go back to, like, how are we supposed to really assess the type of general manager Brody Von Wagenen is going to be? We don't even know if he's going to be around with if Cohen actually ends up owning this team. Um, but if he is, it feels like only then can we actually see what he's made of. And, again, and, and I, I said this on a few podcasts uh, since the Cohen thing, you know, you you have to think that, like, this is killing Brody as a player agent. Why wouldn't he want to just give money to players, you know, soundly and, and, and smartly? But why, why wouldn't he want to do that? None of this makes sense when you really think about who he is and, as, as what he originally intended to be before he decided to dabble with, with whether he could save the Mets as a general manager. Like, who is he? Will the real Brody please stand up, and we won't know until Jeff Wilfon is out of the picture. 
And we don't know whether Brody, since we know that Brody and Jeff are buddies, and this kind of goes back to the 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 way uh, the, the lineage of, of connections to the that the Wilpons bring in people that they're familiar with that Mike has talked about on this podcast. It's 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 a fascinating time, but like I I am more cynical about about everything than ever, as you can see. Like I'm I'm not I'm when the baseball season comes around, I'll be very excited to watch baseball again. But like, don't tell me to be hopeful right now. Don't tell me to be happy about any of this, uh, you know, because I just think it's more of the same. <laughs> and I, I'm again, I'm I'm like my head spinning in wheels as to what the question was. <laughs> well, it was about why every time we hear uh, about bringing player in, we're hearing right. about Nimmo. We hear the same names, Nimmo. We hear J.D. Davis. My question to you was. Are you down right. with the idea that you know Nimmo might be expendable and Jay Davis might be expendable, or are you more in the mindset of keep those guys? I'm just like I, I I don't think I think it's a different environment than the Hubie Brooks era, and I think that it's just you don't know where you currently stand, so just hold you know hold please because. I, I, I obviously, as you can hear, I, I don't think you need to be getting creative with these trades right now. And I know that they didn't give away major league talent last year with this Robinson Cano Edwin Diaz trade. Well, they did actually, but that was money being sent around. So uh, I, I just think that it's if 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 you're not going to be going in on the Coles, not going to be going in the Strasburgs, just. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to be happy about it, but don't don't involve trades that that don't involve trades that get cute again. Because maybe maybe you're going to get it better than the Cano Diaz trade. Maybe maybe you will, but right now, you know, I, I, I again. It it kind of, I don't know it, I know I'm being a hypocrite by saying that like I don't want them to operate like a major league base. You know I, I it's 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 you understand that it's tough, but you get where I'm coming from that how I don't think I'm that much of a hypocrite. Does that make sense? No, I, I hear where you're coming from. It does. I hear where you're coming from, and um, and I want to issue a correction for something I said earlier. I was juxtaposing in my mind Syndergaard's and Wheeler's ERAs. Um, Syndergaard finished the season with a 4.28 ERA. Wheeler was a guy I was thinking of 3.96, um, and he brought that down late in the season. So um, I correct mm. what I said earlier. In fact, Syndergaard did have an over four ERA at the end of the season. Um, okay. So one final thing on 2020 before we have some fun with decade. Um, Sam, right now, look, looking at the team, is there a position you want to see them fill? Is there a move you want to see them make? Um, and, and if so, why do you think that would be the place? So what I'm saying is where should Brody be spending his energy right now? We, we, I think we've established he's not going to spend a lot of money, but where should he be spending his energy, um, if anywhere, or would you rather just roll with the team they have? What do you think? Ooh, that's tough. Um, you know, 
it, it's tough too because Cespedes changes so many ideas, doesn't he? It? Does if he if he's um, motivated? Because apparently that's what it comes down to. I mean, you know how how weird, by the way, is is that entire thing? And you, we can get into it if you want to, but it's not obviously what we're what you brought up right now. But Cespedes is kind of a wild card with how you go about this entire thing. And um, I, I, I think right now I can't see more cooks in the kitchen when it comes to the relief core. Um, you know, do you really want to be adding more what-ifs? Uh, the lineup, I, I, I don't. I think that, again, since I don't want to be going too crazy with these trades, I think you got to hold. I do think you got to hold and not do too much right now. What's your what's your take? Um I think you're right. I would love to add a center fielder, an everyday center fielder. I really would. Um now, if that's Mookie Betts, oh my god, I would love to have Mookie Betts. But the problem is you're not bringing Mookie Betts here without a starting not one of the starting pitchers going. And like we said earlier, right, we yeah. agreed profusely that we don't want to do that. I don't think Mookie Betts is coming back for J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo. I don't think Mookie Betts is coming back for anything, especially with the Red Sox losing Porcello. Um, I'm not sure what they have for depth in their minor leagues and starting pitching. But um, I don't see how that could happen. I, I don't see how Mookie Betts could get here without trading a starting pitcher, and I do not want them to do that. So if they could you know, – use your term earlier. If they could get creative and bring in a center fielder, great without costing a starting pitcher and without, you know, rating the farm of what little it has, like, you know, a guy like Beatty um, or Magnuson, um, who were just drafted this year, if there's some way that they could bring in a better starting field, starting center field option than what they have with, without doing those things, without tapping into starting pitching or the, or the limited prospects, good, go for it. Um, but I don't want to see them do anything crazy, like you said, um, I don't want to see them raid the farm. I'd rather just roll the team we have. Um, so with that said, I think it's time to turn our focus backward. We were looking forward about three months. Um, now let's, let's, turn, let's turn it backward. So let's, um, like I said earlier, it's, it's hard to believe that the decade of, of the 2010s is over. So let's start with this, Sam. What is your best Mets? memory of the 2010s. I think I know what it's going to be, but what is it? You know, they were in a World Series. I saw them in some World Series games, um, and I saw them in some playoff games that year. But weirdly, I mean, considering I was in the stands as opposed to in the, the pizza stands uh, for the World Series, I was in the pizza stands. But I was actually in the stands from the no-hitter. And I just – I think that there was just something about that night and the way it came together, the mist in the air, Carlos Beltran coming back, <clears throat> Wainwright on the mound, um, so many walks. Uh, uh, the, the, it, was, it was knocking down the balls uh, flying out uh, to the outfield. You know, the wind was just knocking them down. Um, and, and, of course, the chalk with – that was Carlos Beltran's – ball, you know, a year before replay would have completely erased that. And, um, you know, I always say that, like, the Mets had 35 one-hitters, and 
who knows what didn't go our way in any of those. Uh, I've heard of a Dwight Gooden game where uh, it probably could have been called an error on Ray Knight in 1986. So, you know, I kind of almost like it from the aura of of, of, of Mets lore that after such pitching history and 35 one-hitters to their name at the time of the, the no-hitter, uh, they had this this no-hitter that finally went the, with a call finally going their way. And obviously with the story of Yawn Santana coming back from the injury, um, you know, I don't think he, you know, ruined his career because of that one particular uh, uh, no-hitter. I think that the season really ended because of the ankle injury anyway, and that's why he, he his season went down the tube before injury. Um, I, I, you know, one that one particular moment, that was the – the Mets had been in World Series. The Mets, uh, you know, um, have been in the playoffs before. They had never had a no-hitter. And I think that if there's anything to look at this decade and say, you know, how are the Mets – different than they were when they this decade began I think more than any of the other stuff you know because we're talking about the holding pattern we feel the Wilpons have us in it's that no hitter you can look at that is the distinct difference for this franchise regardless of any successes they had outside of of a very weird decade very interesting take yet again, Sam. Um, I was not expecting that. I think that's a very good take that you have on the no-hitter. Uh, true confession time. Um, how do I say this politely? I, I, I've i never been that into the no-hitter. Um, I love the fact that they finally got one. I, I do. And I, and I love that Johan threw it because he's such a gritty competitor. Um, and all of that. But But there's something about it, and I know exactly what it is. It's the fact that, like you like you alluded to, Beltran hit the ball that was a double. That was a double. It hit the chalk. And, yes, the Mets got the call. And, yes, it was by the rules. It was the year before instant replay. All of that. Legit, you know, the, by the rules of baseball, it's a no-hitter. The Mets got one after 8,008 games. Fantastic. But I can't get that out of my head, that I saw it, you saw it. We can't unsee it. It was a double. And it went in the rule books as a no-hitter, broke the curse, great. But I, I don't know. I know that's an unpopular take. A lot of people loved it and jumped up and down and went crazy, and, and I was I felt great in the moment. But I, I kind of put it away in my mind as it, eh, it happened, but it didn't really happen. And I can't get past it, and maybe I'm in the minority on that one. Um, well, I mean, you know, in terms what's of- interesting, too, is that – What's interesting, too, is that I was on the, the, the line. Like, I could see it with my bare eyes, yep. <laughs> you know? So, like, I think it's also, like, I was there, you know? There was, there was just something about intersect, intersecting that moment in my own, like, personal Mets arc that just – that was just magical to me. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the – that's why I think it's that a big reason. It's just a very – personal emotional take to, to, to with that fair enough and, and to me m- mine is a bit personal too my favorite moment of the decade had to be you know in the 2015 season but specifically if you remember the home run Cespedes has hit in game three against the Dodgers and the reason that's so important is oh. um, right because the Mets 
one series is one to one. Dodgers take an early three nothing lead in that game. I'm sitting there with my daughter and I'm like, I don't believe this is happening. I don't believe Matt Harvey is out there and he's being bested by Brett Anderson. What in the hell is happening? And then the Mets come back. They tie the game. They take the lead. Okay. It's 5-3, and it's like, all right, I'm sitting, I'm absolutely, I'm pacing the stadium. I left my poor kid sitting there by herself. I'm pacing the stadium because we're only up by two runs. And then I get back to the seat. Cespedes hit the home run to make it 8-3. to um, And the ball went right in front of my face. And we were sitting first row of the upper deck in, in, uh, down the third baseline. And I watched the arc of the ball. It seemed like it was 20 feet in front of my face as it went by me. And I knew it was going to go. And I felt right then, okay, they were going to win this game and have a chance to go to the World Series. The, I don't know if it was a combination of relief, excitement, the fact that as a father I was there with my daughter for a very important moment, you know, a great game and all that. But that's my favorite single moment of the decade was that home run by Cespedes. And, of course, because they had gotten Cespedes at the trade deadline, and I think we all felt that that might have been the missing ingredient. So, um we have two different ideas on it, and I completely respect what you're saying. The Mets had been to World Series before, so the no-hitter was transformational. Totally get it. Great, great conversation. Um, now, tell me I th- about I a think moment. I, 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 just to, sorry, to really quickly comment on that moment. For one thing, like, that series is one of the greatest playoff series that the Mets have ever played. That, that you know, that's when I think of that, that whole run, you got to go directly to that series as, you know, the Cubs, we just swept through the Cubs. The, the Dodgers one was the one where, like, what baseball is all about. And um, that moment where Cespedes hit the home run, I was behind the pizza counter. And I'm seeing, I'm watching it mostly on television because I, I don't, I, you know, where the counter was, you don't have a direct view of the field. And, you know, one of the things that I remembered about it, too, was the fact that I think, like, my friend had just uh, uh, FaceTimed me. And so right before the, the home run, um, I answer the phone, and then Cespedes hits it. So I'm showing the – I'm looking out with my friend on FaceTime to the reaction of all the fans right in front of, of Tubut, which was at, in center field. And I remember this one guy, just the excitement in this one particular person. He was jumping up and down as he leapt – like across the corridor and that in my head, I wasn't able to, you know, it was a FaceTime video. I didn't screenshot it during the video. Like I don't actually have any video footage of this particular moment, but that home run, it'll always be ingrained in my mind, the fans reaction right in front of me and, and how, like you said, it was this, this lift off of us that, you know what, it's everything's going to be okay. And you know what, that year everything was until particularly game four because before then you could understand how things might slow down a little bit after all that momentum with the four games against the Cubs. But game four in particular, that's the one that will always sting. You know what? While we didn't agree on our favorite moments necessarily, you know, we had a different spin on it. We're, we're aligned here because, um, to me, the, the worst two moments of the decade, Game Four of the World Series, definitely. I was there. Um, I, I was, you know, Conforto with two home runs. 
okay, great, you know, everything's going okay, check, 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 you know, I'll check all the boxes, Mets are doing okay here, Mats looks pretty good, um, you know, they'll, they'll turn over to Clippard, and then they'll go to, go to um, Familia, and we should be okay, 2-2, two, two. and then it's anybody's series, great, you know, breathing okay, feeling okay, and then when Clippard comes in and, and they start to chisel away at him a bit, and when the ball goes by Murphy, when, when when he makes the the ball goes, you know, he does the whatever you want to call it, the Buckner on it, and goes right between his legs. I I just didn't know I I didn't know what to say. I mean, it wasn't anger. It wasn't like throwing things. It was like, please, dear God, tell me this isn't happening. I was I was in prayer. I, I was saying, please, just just tell me this will not happen. They will not lose this game now in that manner. I was almost pleading, and and they went ahead and lost the game. And if this might put a smile on your face. As we're walking out, my daughter, who was equally distraught, said, "Give me the keys. You're not you're not driving because you're not capable of driving a car right now." And I hadn't been drinking. I hadn't had anything. She would not let me drive the car because I was that distraught. And and it wasn't. It was just my. I, I was like staggering out of the place. I, I just like, oh my god, no! This, this it happened. Now they're down three to it's, one. It's right? just one of those moments so, when, like, I was I was heading back on the train, and I I was probably had the exact same emotion as you in the in while I was on the train, while you, you know you were in the car, I was on the train. So many Met fans were feeling the exact same thing. Like we, it was replaying in our minds. You know, it was it's just one of those those moments that get talked about, and I always reference um, uh, Mickey Owen. And and uh, the Dodgers with Joe DiMaggio at the plate. Uh, actually, no, Tommy Hendrick was at the plate, but Joe DiMaggio, I think, came up next. But the Dodgers were up four to three and ended up losing seven to four in Game Four, where they could have tied the series two two. And it it felt like that's all that kept going through my my head from a historic perspective. The only thing I could think about from an from like a New York equal of a devastating Game Four moment was that was was 1941. Amen. Um, so one more, I want to throw one more in there. And it came the following year. Losing to the Giants in the wild card game, um, mostly because of the hatred I have for the San Francisco Giants. I, I despise that organization. Mostly because Chris Russo likes them, and I'll be that. That's the reason. And I want to see him, I want to see his team <laughs> lose 162 games a year, every year, because I have zero respect for the guy. And and he hates the Mets with such a passion, and he used to talk about it on FAN. I want to see him crying. I, I want to watch it. I want a video of him crying when his team loses, and and I and I'll play it and I'll play it while he popcorn watching it. Um, and the thought that he was happy at my pain in that moment made me nauseous. I couldn't deal with it. So um, so that that's my other moment from the decade. My vengeful moment of the decade. Yeah, um, I have to agree with you on that one. That's a, that's, um, that that has to be the the second worst. You're absolutely well, other than Game Five, I guess, right? You I know, guess it rounds game out. Five, like game Five is there. It's number three. That's number three, only because it was. Here's the only reason, and I've said to this to you guys in the past. The only reason Game Five is three instead of two or one, in fact in terms of bad moments, is because, yes, I, I will never, ever, for the rest of my life, forgive Terry Collins for leaving Harvey. And you can have your own opinion on that. Fine. That's mine. But the other reason is they were going to go to Kansas City down 3-2. to two. 
they were going to go to Kansas City right. down three to two without Ioannis Espinas. And because if you remember, right. he absolutely fucked himself up, pardon my language. He fouled that ball off his leg, couldn't move. He would not have played in Kansas City, and I don't think they would have won. I don't think – now, sure, who knows what would have happened. I don't think that they would have gone to Kansas City without Cespedes and won two in a row. But look at the Tigers in 1968. They were they were down 3-1, to one, won game five at home, went to St. Louis, beat Bob Gibson in one of the two games there, and ended up winning the World Series. So it could have happened. It's only because of I mean, that same, that same it's number thing with three. The, same thing with the, the the Cubs did it, you know, but, like, Cleveland. I think you also yeah, know yeah, from yeah. experience. Cleveland. But you also know from experience with, with the Mets that, like, you know, it, it's – unfortunately, they're always, like, like that time against the Braves in 1999. They're always the team that, you know, that gets it the first chance, but, you know, to do – the um, improbable, but then, you know, it's the Red Sox instead a few years later kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're right. No, you're right. And, oh, do, do you like relieving the pain? I, I, it kind of bugged me. I, I, I don't know. It wasn't fun. These past few minutes, it's been a great chat. But, I oh, those are painful <laughs> moments. Uh, oh, oh, make them go away. Uh, that was some right, unsung moments. moments. Any, any yeah, unsung right, moments right? of the decade? Unsung moments. Um, hmm. You know, I would have to say, and this isn't one moment, but I loved Matt Harvey when Matt Harvey was Matt Harvey. Uh, because I'll tell you why. You know, obviously I'm older than you, and, and these are things that happened perhaps before you were born or right when you were basically born. Um, was in the mid-'80s, Doc Gooden was, was must-see TV. No matter if you were a Met fan and you had plans to go out, you went out at 10 because you wanted to watch. If Gooden was on the mound – because you knew it could be a no-hitter, it was going to be special, and he was going to obliterate the competition. Harvey got close to that. He got 95% of there. He was never as dominant as good, but he was very, very close. And so while it wasn't one particular moment, when you think about 2013 and how the Mets obviously were struggling, they weren't a good team in that year, but it was Harvey night. Everybody like, Harvey night, Harvey, Harvey's better, all that. So to me, that was unsung on a bad team that was rebuilding, but knowing that once every fifth day, you had a chance to potentially see a no-hitter. You had to just watch a, an artist with his canvas. How about yourself? Unsung moment. Ooh, that's that's a tough one because like what like you think about how just uh, it was an event every Harvey Day. Happy Harvey Day was the hashtag. Um, Weirdly enough, as much cred as he's gotten now, unsung hero of the decade for me is still Jake, Jacob DeGrom. You know, when you when you really think about it, how quiet, like what, how loud Harvey was with everything he did and, and how excited we were. And just watching Jacob DeGrom quietly go about his business to the point that we could be talking – potentially like really quickly becoming a hall of famer, you know, like, like, which is unprecedented, like, like just an unprecedented, maybe not unprecedented, but, but like very rare occurrence, what we're watching Jacob DeGrom do. And he didn't, he, he, you know, he was obviously very, uh, especially down the stretch, he solidified his rookie of the year uh, uh, numbers that in 2014, um, but 
you know, it it wasn't like just storming the scene like it was with Matt Harvey. Jacob deGrom has had to earn everybody's respect, especially because we thought Rafael Montero was the bigger prospect at the time. Um, yep. You know, you know, you're you're seeing ridiculous gifts, which obviously are clickbait, but it still infuriates me. Like it's it's no question based off of the track record who's the better pitcher right now in New York City. It's Jacob Degrom, not Garrett Cole. Please, enough with this. But you know it's supposed to get rise. It's supposed to get a rise from people. So what are you gonna do? But weirdly enough, as much recognition as he's gotten, Jacob Degrom still feels like the un- unsung hero of the decade. That's a great take, Sam. It really is, because it was Harvey. You know, when DeGrom and Harvey were in the room, it was Harvey was the guy. DeGrom, oh, you're very nice, but Harvey's the guy, right? Okay. And Cindergaard is this bigger-than-life figure, not as good as DeGrom, but bigger-than-life figure, the Thor thing and the blah, 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 the media stuff. Jacob's kind of like the quiet family man. And you're right, you're right. As good as he is, back-to-back Cy Youngs, it just seems like, we as fans have to prop him up to others and to ourselves. Sometimes we have to remember how great this guy is and, and it's because he does it so meticulously. And so um, I don't want to say under the radar, but meticulously and so professionally, you know, he's not a boisterous kind of a figure. And, and I think that is, a, that is a fantastic take. It really is. And and also props to you know we don't usually have a moment to really give Joe Buck some some cred, but props to Joe Buck for his call of 2015. And you know what's funny is like Jacob Degrom finished with things so quickly in the 2015 All Star Game that like nobody else in the booth was really talking about it. And then Joe Buck had to come back and say, Hey, hello, my name's Jacob Degrom, and I have this kind of stuff that has a chance to dominate the league for years to come. And it was a great call, you know? And and, and it, it brought really national attention to how good this pitcher was. And, and it, you know, I, I have to say that I've kind of come to appreciate Joe Buck as vanilla as I, I think that, like, he represents very much the direction that, that uh, the national broadcasting teams usually go in, which is very vanilla, safe, don't try to stir up the pot. And you know what? He's kind of got this like wry personality where, where he, his, you know, he's so sarcastic with some of his humor sometimes that he actually gets me. Thank you for saying that because look, I'm not a huge Joe Buck fan. I don't think he's great, but I've never understood why people attack the guy like they do. He's not that bad. He's pretty good, I think. And I also think, he, to your point about humor, I think his dry wit can be rather engaging. I want to share one quick thing. I know we're running out of time here. I want to share one quick thing. I'll never forget this. It was a 2001 playoffs, Yankees-Mariners at Yankee Stadium. And they come back from commercial. Joe Buck's doing the game. And over the Yankee Stadium PA, they're playing um, – They're playing. she was just 17. I saw her standing there by the Beatles. I saw her standing there. So you can hear that playing, and they focus on Paul McCartney. He's standing up, and he's, you, know, you can see that he's singing the words, right? And Joe Buck, they show McCartney, and Joe Buck says the following. He goes, who's that guy, and how does he know the words to this song? I, I think about that. It's almost 20 years ago. 
I think about that and I still laugh. I still laugh about one. that. All he said, who is that guy and how does he know all the words? And so anyway. Um, what? Do you remember what right, game have... this was? Because I think I, I might have been like at Yankee Stadium. It was game. The Yanks had the did not have the home field advantage. It was it was a Saturday afternoon? I think might have been game three. Um, the World Series three game? or four? No, it was against the Mariners. It was a playoff game. In two thousand one, right? Yes. It, okay, yeah, either yeah, that I'm, or two thousand. I just remember being at Yankee Stadium. I just remember being at Yankee Stadium when they were showing. You know, uh, Paul Sir Paul McCartney singing along to "I Saw Her Standing There." Well, that had to be it. That was the game because it was they showed it on the jumbotron. You're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, they showed him on the jumbotron. Everybody went nuts because he he was very engaging because he's Paul McCartney. (laughs) That was the same thing he showed on TV, and the way he put it, like he didn't say, "Oh, there's the great Sir Paul McCartney." He didn't say anything like that. It was so funny the way he put it. (laughs) Um, all right, we have to move this into uh, into fifth gear here as we're running out of time. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Sam, was we were talking about moments from the tens. Tell me about – we'll do two at once, two at once. A player acquisition that you thought was one of the best that the team made, and how about one of the worst? What do you, what do you have? I've got to go um, for sure with the best I think still is Cespedes. I think he was transformational. Um, and regardless of what we're talking about with the Wilpons right now, uh, the Wilpons, you know, actually followed through with what the fans wanted. Um, you know, honorable mention to Granderson, who might be one of the most consistent free agent signings the Mets ever made. Uh, and they got a lot of, of, you, uh, of, of miles out of him, both in terms of play, uh, uh, actual, you know, like, like, better than what a free agent coming from the Yankees could, you know, possibly do hypothetically speaking for the New York Mets and, and Granderson, I thought the power was there consistently more than I ever expected it to be. Uh, And he was also just one of the most genuine down to earth players you'll ever meet who goes out of his way. You can tell to make sure that the fans know that they matter. And when you hear certain stories about players uh, um, that don't do that, uh, it makes you appreciate somebody like Curtis Granderson even more. And I, I really appreciate that he was a Met, and he'll always have a fan in me. Fantastic. How about a bad acquisition? 2010, I think you got to start with Jason Bay. Um you know, it's just one of those what ifs, you know, uh, because I think there was obviously a, I think personally the, the, uh, con, you know, the, the, um, how am I just spacing on it, but the, the, the concussion, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, again, going back to the way Jeff Wilpon operates this team. And I, I can't necessarily blame, I think, you know, Jason Bay was just one of those perfect storms of free agents and you can't necessarily blame the Wilpons directly, but it, it kind of goes back to what you hear about the way they operate their rehabilitation. Uh, and, and you, you know, you just wonder, uh, Frank Francisco, uh, what a douche, just really, what yeah. else can you say? That was like, just, uh, you know, what was, was like both him and Rouch were sold as potential. It's <laughs> going back to this, this relief core. 
Um, but unfortunately, you know, especially with Frank Francisco, it seemed that he just wasn't he 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 not only uh, wasn't that good of a pitcher, he also wasn't that good of a human being. Uh, I don't know him personally, but it seemed like you know that that was like the gist of it by the end of that contract. <laughs> You know, interesting on that one, because a lot of people will forget about Frank Francisco, and he wasn't good, and he wasn't a good guy. You're spot on. Um, you know, it's in, we're we're, um, we're monolithic here, because I'm going to tell you, I, I have the same two guys in mind for good acquisitions. Uh, Cespedes, because of what he did, clearly they, they do not go to the World Series without him um, in, in 2015. And when you think about the end of the day, you know, we talk about it on, the, on these podcasts. We buy tickets and go to games. You watch them on TV, all that stuff. At the end of the day, what matters after all of that is did you win the World Series or didn't you? And Cespedes got them, or did you get to the World Series? Did you win the pennant and all that stuff, all all the precursors? And those precursors in 2015 would not have happened without Ioannis Cespedes. um, And then Granderson, for similar reasons, they signed him going into the 2014 season. Um, and 2014 was a transformational year. They started to get better. Everything started to settle in. And Granderson was a big part, you know, batting leadoff in, in 15. So, um, and then when you throw in the fact that Granderson is just the most, one of the most engaging baseball players in the history of baseball, uh, fan-friendly, good dude, all that stuff, wonderful acquisition, similar reasons, a little bit different, um, and I love both those acquisitions. The one that, you know, that I, I wish they had back – I've always felt sorry for Bay, so I'm not going to say it. I think Bay tried really hard, and when he when he got the concussions, it, it just it he got them hustling, you know. And um, and how can you fault the guy for that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know, to pick another one that didn't work out that was really bad. I, I would the second go around with Jay Bruce was probably not well thought out, even though Bruce, you know, he, he actually was having mm. a very good 2017. When he came over in 2016, um, or they, or, I'm sorry, he had a good 2018. They traded him in 17, so he had a very good 18 with the Mets. Um, and you know, when they first got him in 16, it didn't work. They, um, he had a, he came on at the end there a little bit, but the fans got on him. He wasn't producing until that last two weeks of the season, and so, and they gave up Dilson Herrera, who they actually had back, ironically. Um, but that's probably a move that, eh, you know, I don't know. They they didn't really they didn't achieve their objective with with um, Jay Bruce the first time around. So maybe it's that one. You know, maybe it was that deadline deal that that just didn't seem to put them over the top. Maybe, maybe I would go there. Um, honorable although, honorable again, I, Gray mention. Let me let me ask you this: uh, uh, What has this decade done for Jose Reyes's legacy? <laughs> um. It's been bad, you know. It's been you can't you can't look past the DV. You know, you, you can't look past that. Yeah. That makes you a bad person, and it, and it does. Um, now, I think it's I do believe in giving people second chances. So while it's a horrible thing to do, a horrible horrible thing, Jose, if you're listening, and no, we don't forgive you. The other thing is, if if you take your celebrity and you say, look, I did something really freaking stupid, okay, and look, all you men out there. Don't ever do what I did ever for any reason ever. And you use your celebrity and you take that unfortunate thing to teach other people what not to do, which he didn't do that. 
And I always felt that was something right. he should have done. Right. I always felt that he should have stood up and be and made it his cause celeb and say, look, I fucked up royally. Don't any of you ever do that. And I, I think that was a miss. Uh, but when you think about it, the Mets let him go. They were going to rebuild. Um, they didn't want to spend the money on him. He didn't really thrive. You know, he didn't really thrive in Miami, didn't really thrive in Toronto, hated Colorado. He came back to the Mets, you know, back half of 16, did well. Um, actually had a decent 17 after a horrible start, had a bad 18. Um, but it's one of those things where not only did it not work out for the Mets, it worked out for Reyes either. It was not a good decade for Jose right. Reyes. It really wasn't. Well, how do you can, see it? Probably the same I, way. Can I also point out that the domestic violence happened right after, like literally right after uh, game four was over. Yeah, um, true. And I always weirdly thought, you know, because he, he Instagrammed earlier in the night, let's go Mets. Um, I I think combined with how unhappy it was in Colorado, uh, he was way too drunk that night and uh, did something really stupid after being upset about the way the Mets game ended. Um, like, that's just uh, – that's my – I think my screenwriting take, if you will, you know, just being coming from that angle, trying to gather the entire story, almost trying to do a detective work about it. And I think that, you know, if you want to look at it from that human perspective about where Reyes's life was at that particular intersection uh, and what you just mentioned about the fact that he hasn't really looked like he's made it any, any of that, his calling. He's just let it be a personal matter uh, because his wife didn't press charges that go, you know, have that go to the wayside. Um, and, you know, he's still rapping about money uh, in Spanish. So that, you know, and, and I, I don't mean to disparage his music. You know, I, I'm not sitting there with a fine tooth comb, you know, looking exactly what he's, he's, you know, uh, what the lyrics are, um, but it from face value, it doesn't seem like he has completely accepted that be be his calling, especially now that baseball uh, doesn't seem to want to give him another chance with everything else tied together. So um, what's weird about it, too, is that you also, with clearly, especially on Mets Twitter, there's a lot of people who uh, – um, I don't think appreciate him the way some other fans appreciate him uh, because of the domestic violence. Meanwhile, however, Marcus Stroman's giving up his number for the guy. So I'm, I'm kind yep. of one, like it's confusing yep. as to exactly the direction going forward. And again, this is why, you know, it's such a strange time for, for the franchise because we're talking Cohen uh, uh, and, and the way he will handle all of this stuff potentially um, that, that it's, you know, it's just I think a lot of this does fall into, you know, where the the, the Mets organization currently stands. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. And, um, you know, and the Cohen thing, look, uh, I think he will be approved by Major League Baseball simply because they want his money infused into the system. Um, the players, certainly the players union is going to love it because you're going to have one of the wealthiest men on the planet, you know, having a lot of money to throw at, at baseball players, which is great for the union and, um, and the viability of the game. I mean, as much as, you know, 
it's important that every um, every city has a chance to compete in all of that. Your New York franchises need to do well, and, and I think baseball will see that. You know that when the New York teams are doing well, revenues go up, viewership goes up, things like that. And so infusing his money in, um, I'm hoping we'll be seeing. I'm hoping it'll be a slam dunk, and that his influence can start being felt. Although I guess Will Pons will technically be on the books for another five years. You know darn well that if Cohen's bankrolling it, he's going to be calling the shots. And um, so, yeah, hopefully um, the, I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the 20s. I really am. I think Cohen's going to be a huge part of it. When you think about how much – we've done these podcasts, Sam, since 2013. And I would say we've spent 33 to 50% of our time, which is a hell of a lot, Bitching about the Wilpons. Why do the Mets shop in the bargain basement, right? Right? Like you just said, why aren't the Mets, when Anthony Rendon is available, why are the Mets, the New York Mets, not even in the conversation? We've talked about that for seven years. And, and imagine, imagine a photo opportunity where both Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg are standing there, having been nationals for an entire decade, as New York Mets. Imagine a team being in position to pull that type over on a, a division rival. They need to start thinking like this. You have to look real far. Yankees do it all the time. I mean, you know, it, it started back in the – well, it didn't start, but in the late 70s when they signed Tiant away Ruth, from the really. Red Sox. Babe Ruth. Yeah, they, they got <laughs> Babe Ruth in a trade. Yeah, no, no, Nanette, right? I mean um, – but the whole thing with – in the late 70s, the Yankees were, were perpetual winners. Did they really need Louis Tiant? Well, sure. You know, adding a, a – a or I'm not sure if you want to sign or not, but a, but a quality pitcher like that, of course it's going to help you. But they wanted to stick it to the Red Sox. That's what they were doing. Right. And why right. don't the Mets operate like that? Why are the Mets shopping at Filene's basement? You know, and, it, it's, and it's okay. Look, if you're rebuilding or what have you, you don't want to add to the team for a couple of years – it's been like this for how long? You know, they're constantly right. shopping in the basement. And think about how much different things are going to be when Cohen gets approved and they could shop at Neiman Marcus again, you know? <laughs> um, uh, best example I can come up with, Saks. I don't know. What's a better example? Who knows? So, all right. You, you've been listening I don't know. Is to... Blooming hip with the children? Is yeah. Bloomingdale we'll Blooming thing anymore? up there too. Oh, it's still a thing. I think it's still considered pretty top end. Um, from what I mean, I, I love so, I love uh, the I love the button down. I I bought one button down from Bloomingdale's the last ten years, and it, it is still my favorite button down. So, shout out like to Like my father always said, my father <laughs> always said, you get what you pay for, right? You pay for a good product right? at Bloomingdale's. Yeah. That product lasts you ten years. There you go. Um, exactly. So, well, you you've been listening to a Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Unfortunately. Uh, Mike has been unable to join us this evening, but I, Rich, have had a hell of a time talking baseball with my friend Sam here, and I, I think it's time to turn the corner um, and wrap this one up. So, Sam, any before we do a last word, any final thoughts from you as we uh, are about to depart the 10s and go into the 20s? Um, I guess, you know, honorable mention to 2011, uh, you know, little little Justin Turner, Early, early on, uh, Justin Turner, where we were first introduced to uh, his spunk, uh, call me maybe era, uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Lucas Duda, 30 home runs, 2014. It was fun when 
the Duda finally broke out. Uh, that was, you know, we were kind of waiting for that for a long time. Um, and yeah, I, I is there, what, what about you? Is there anything, one last thing you want to mention? About the, about the decade. Well, let's see. Um, I hated the rebuild. It was painful, you know, watching Reyes go in 2011 and knowing that, oh, it's going to be a couple of years of this. And 2012, you know, obviously the Johan moment and the fact the team was competitive in the front half, great. But those are some tough years, you know, 11, 12, 13, again, with Harvey, a couple of exceptions in, the, in that time period. But it was tough to go through the rebuild. And the other thing I would say is 15 was great. But the fact that they didn't back 15 up with any kind of consistent winning was very disappointing. So in summary, I would say about the decade, more negative than positive for sure, Um, unfortunately. You know, some individual things, individual people like Harvey and individual things like going to the World Series, great. But overall, you went through a rebuild, inconsistent, you know, unable to sustain the winning you had in the middle of the decade. Um, and then a couple of really bad years, you know, 17 and, and most of 18, um, to go along with, you know, 11, 12, and 13. So overall, I don't think it was a great decade for the franchise. Would you agree? I think that it sounds like the Wilpons gave it one more decade to try to win the way they want to organize a baseball team. Um, and I think they assess the same way you just assessed it and that's why one of the reasons why the family's selling so i think this was the last this was the final uh attempt and unfortunately we're seeing you know more of the same right now but uh, i i think that this decade was really the nail in the coffin for the jeff wilpon era and and um i know that fred wilpon is the one that that was capable of saying you know jeff this isn't right for you. Uh, but it, I, I still, it, I have trouble fully blaming this on Fred. Um, he just like, he, he doesn't, although I do kind of at the same time have a problem with him playing the character of like the innocent old man who doesn't know what he's doing. If you, what I'm just, it's unsustainable kind of thing, you know, where he doesn't, he's ignorant to how clearly poor, poorly run and uh, uh, Jeff is operating this team as well as the stories, you know, like, like you, you know, you, you, you can't put it past him. You know, at some point Fred does need to take a lot of the blame for the way Jeff operated. And especially, you know, within all that, a, a, a sexual uh, uh, misconduct of, uh, 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 a, a, a um, how am I just oh, with the, a woman, yeah. the term, but a, a lawsuit, lawsuit. It was a lawsuit that was yeah, yeah. no harassment. You know, harassment, yeah. yeah. Thanks, but like, it was just um, yeah. It's just it 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 all comes back to Jeff Wilpon, and it it was the the final nail on the coffin, as I said. I think that's fair. And with that said, um, Sam, what would be <laughs> Not to sound dramatic here. Your your last word for this podcast and the last podcast of the decade. Uh, well, it's remarkable that we've we've gotten this far uh, already. I mean, you know, it, just as they say, you you know, you you uh, as the world turns, as they say. Um, 
I, it, first of all, uh, uh, I'd want to give a shameless plug to our new Twitter handle at Emetsian Podcast. I launched it early uh, earlier on, but during this podcast, I actually tweeted from it. That was fun. Follow us on there. Uh, we're going to be building this uh, this podcast uh, come this new year. It's going to be uh, real exciting. Um, it, it's been such an awesome decade with uh, you, uh, uh, Rich, and Mike to be to be coming together on these podcasts almost once a week. Uh, a lot of times, sometimes we take a little bit of time off, but you know we we uh, we try to stay as consistent as possible. And uh, whether it's it's us just on here uh, or all the great guests we've had, it's such a blast talking about this team, even when we're talking about how frustrating the owners are. And um, what's my last word? Uh, perseverance. I, I don't want to be hoping anymore, but we're we're gonna we're, we're, we we got through yet another rough decade. Uh, Things might not always be how you want it to be, but you're going to persevere one way or to the other. Keep on pushing. Let's go Mets. Very good. Um, my last word is, is a bit more um, confined to, to the current time, which is uh, Equinox. I love when Greg puts that. He does it every year, actually, Greg Prince. He yeah. puts out that we've just passed the baseball equinox. I think it's great that we are now officially closer to uh, opening day than the last pitch of the last World Series. So it's getting real, as my daughter would say. The shit's getting real. And, um, you know, even though the Mets might still have some more work to do, and even though they're frustrating us with their thriftness, um, baseball is, you know, at, it's going to be January 1st in a couple of days, and then we all know what happens in very early February now pitchers and catchers and so it's almost time to you know get this thing going so uh looking forward to that looking forward as you said to a continued uh, another decade of, of Metsy and podcasts with you and mike um these are always fun to do and and we do them more often during the season at least once a week in the off season so sam it has been an absolute pleasure talking not only current mets but also you know having a few uh great memories and some painful ones about the decade it's been a pleasure, my friend. And with that said, I think, Sam, you're the one who has coined the only way that we know how to close these podcasts. And for the good of the decade, Sam, give us a good one or give us a good close out here. Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Mets New Year, everybody, and let's go, Mets. Corner. Have a great night. Good night, everybody. Bye now.